changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Good evening and welcome to What's the Word? I'm Randy Johnson, your host, and I'm the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and I'm thankful that you have taken time out of your evening to join me tonight on 101.9 WAIN. You may be streaming and listening to this on your laptop or on your smartphone, you can find that at 101.9wain.com, and you can click on Listen Live, and you can listen to the entire hour while streaming on any kind of a device. And I'm thankful that however you have found us, maybe even on 1270 AM, and it's also being broadcast there. So lots of different ways this evening that you can be listening to What's the Word. And as always, I try to share with you that I have a podcast where I have uploaded some 10 to 12 minute segments throughout the week to be an encouragement to you. I upload sermons that I preach at Columbia Baptist Church as well as the entire hour of What's the Word on Thursday mornings. I will post it there and upload it to the podcast. So if you subscribe to my podcast, you get all kinds of updates of those that new content and those uh, different opportunities to listen to just different perspectives on lots of different subjects. I try to give a, a wide variety of subjects in all of the podcasts and the sermons I preach and, and even on this radio show. And that name of that podcast is Walk This Way. And you can find it on your computer or smartphone. You can find it on Google, Spotify, iTunes. You just search for Walk This Way and look for Randy Johnson. You will find it. Or you can just go to the website that hosts the podcast, which is anchor.fm backslash walk this way. And I'll try to remember this evening to share that with you uh, as we move through the hour. I have several things that I want to share with you this evening, and I am very thankful to be able to encourage you every single week on this radio show. I know that some folks uh, perhaps listen to What's the Word faithfully. Perhaps some of you are first-time listeners tonight, and maybe even some of you just listen whenever you have the opportunity. But I'm always thankful, and I do most certainly want to encourage you to send me some feedback. I love to get some feedback from people that listen, that have some thoughts and ideas, or maybe some new perspective on something that I've talked about that you want to tell me about. And I would love to hear from you. And probably the easiest way for you to do that is to email me. My email address is randy, R-A-N-D-Y, randy at columbiabaptist.com. And you just send me an email of your thoughts and perspective, or maybe even just your own personal testimony or things that you've struggled with in your walk with Christ. And I would love to just hear from you and be able to share some biblical perspective on some of those things. This evening, the theme of the show is going to be on the family and how we can have healthy families. I know that probably the most essential building block of our society is the health of our families. And it may sound cliche to say that, but it is really so true. There's so much wisdom that goes into saying that as the family goes, so goes society. And right here in Columbia, Kentucky, in the heart of Adair County, we see families that, just like any place else, have lots of ups and downs. Families that struggle with kids in school, families that struggle with consistency in their spiritual life, families that uh, perhaps have some great success in terms of financial success or educational success. And they're just, you know, just like every family, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have times when you feel as though you've got it all together. And then the next moment, it seems like everything comes crashing down. And in a lot of ways, that's just life in general, because life is 
consistently inconsistent. I mean, there one thing you can count on about life and about family and about even uh, so many times our spiritual life or you know certain disciplines that we have that a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times we're going to be consistently inconsistent. Uh, you know, you think about the first of the year. Lots of people made the you know, New Year's resolution, I'm going to get in the gym, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to stop smoking, I'm going to, you know, start doing this, I'm going to start walking, I'm going to start exercising. And a lot of times, you know, we enter into those kinds of commitments just with a full head of steam. This is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm committed. And many times we get distracted. Life happens. Things happen in our life. You know, we lose a loved one or we get sick or, you know, we have some change to our schedule or, you know, something kind of gets it a little off kilter. And all of a sudden, our commitment that we had so strongly a few months ago, now all of a sudden has petered out. And, you know, families are no different. A lot of times families struggle with being consistent. Maybe as a Christian family, if you try to have a family devotional, uh, it may work great for a couple of weeks or a couple of months of, you know, every evening we're going to do this, we're going to sit down, we're going to pray, and then something happens or somebody's sick or somebody's out of town or, you know, whatever. And so that's what I want to share with you this evening is how to become more consistent. Uh, this is something that there's no person on the planet that has and is part of a perfect family that does everything 100% all the time perfectly well. So this is a topic that honestly every person can learn from, whether you are a family of one or a hundred and one. Uh, I met somebody just today who has uh, 10 or so children and 68 grandchildren and you know several great-grandchildren and you know, it was unapologetic for having a big family. And, you know, that's a lot to keep your arms around. And that's, that's a lot to be spiritually responsible for. And yet, you know, some of my listeners, you may be a family of one and you think, okay, well, some of these family conversations don't apply to me, but friend, they absolutely do. You know, if we can be individually disciplined as a family of one and we can be disciplined as a family of a hundred, the principles are the same. It's just a matter of, of making things a priority, making our time scheduled in such a way that we set certain things apart and do certain things that, you know, make sense or practical or, or fit in our schedule. And so those same principles apply, like I said, whether it's a family of one or a hundred and one. I have met plenty of families of one. I have not met any families of a hundred and one, but I'm just putting it out there. It may one day happen. Well, this coming Sunday is Mother's Day. And so, guys, I want you to remember that this Sunday is Mother's Day. If you have forgotten that, if it somehow snuck up upon you, if you got maybe so interested in the Derby last weekend that you forgot that the second Sunday in May is always Mother's Day, then consider this a public service announcement and make sure that for your mother and for perhaps your wife who is a mother, Make sure that you do your best to make them feel special and just to let them know, not just on that day, but especially on that day, that you appreciate what they do. And I hope that you make them feel special and appreciated every day all the time. But don't forget that this Sunday is Mother's Day. Well, on this Sunday morning at Columbia Baptist Church at 9 o'clock in our worship service, we're going to begin a series a preaching series in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 and 13 have a lot to say about the family. You know, chapter 11, if you're familiar with the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is what a lot of us consider the hall of faith. Or, you know, it's like these champions of people that have just tremendous testimonies and have wonderful accomplishments for Christ. Well, a lot of them got to where they were in their life through struggle, through difficulty. And we know about their story, not because their their life story was all sunshine and roses. We know about their story because it's real. It's authentic. 
they had problems and they had challenges. And this coming Sunday, I want to give you just a little bit of insight into the message that I'm going to be preaching this coming Sunday morning. And so, guys, make sure that you go to church with uh, with your wife, with your mom, uh, both preferably if you're still able to do that. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, ladies, this is a great encouragement to you on Mother's Day because a lot of times as parents, we think that we're the first one to have experienced what we're going through. And that is just not the case. There are parents everywhere that have walked the miles that we have walked uh, currently. And so this, I want to just give you a little snippet of the message that I'm going to be preaching Sunday morning. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, as I mentioned, there is there are stories about all kinds of people that walked with God in the Old Testament, people that lived very faithful lives. And like I said, a lot of them had some legitimate struggle. Well, we know about the book of Exodus. We are familiar with the Ten Commandments, uh, Moses parting the Red Sea, um, the manna and the water from a rock and the wandering in the wilderness. You know, we know all of those things. Those are more of the familiar story. But how the, the real story in the book of Exodus begins is it really begins with the struggle of a family in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 23, it says that by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the king's edict was to kill the Hebrew boys, and so he wanted to punish and get rid of some Hebrew children and wanted all Hebrew boys, you know, to uh, babies to be killed. And so his parents knew that there was something different, something amazing about Moses. And the idea of him being beautiful was not just his physical appearance, but really they just saw something in him that was unique. And a lot of times, you know, as parents, you you always want the best for your kids. You want your, your kids to have the very best of, you know, education and, you know, you want them to succeed and you want them to do well. But here, Moses' parents, as two Hebrew slaves in Egypt, didn't have many options for success for their son because they were slaves in Egypt and Pharaoh said, I'm going to kill all the Hebrew boys. Well, they decided because they saw something different in Moses and because they weren't afraid of the Pharaoh's command, they hid their child for three months. Now, you know, if you've had children you can get away with those kinds of things when they're really small. You know, they uh, are very dependent upon, you know, mom to be nurturing and take care of them. But once they get a little bit bigger, once they start getting a little more squirmy, once they get a little bit older, then it's, it became a little more difficult for them to conceal him. So the Bible goes on to say in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, where do we get that? Well, in the book of Exodus, the Bible tells us that Moses's parents put him in a little, a little raft, in a little uh, cocoon, so to speak, in the water, and he floated down the water a little bit until he came upon and floated down toward Pharaoh's daughter. Well, Moses' sister, the Bible says in Exodus 2, was standing back watching all of this that was taking place. And, of course, Pharaoh's daughter sees this beautiful baby and this, uh, this amazing little basket that he's floating in, and she picks him up. Well, Moses' sister is there, and she rushes up, and, of course, Pharaoh's daughter wants to take care of the little Hebrew boy. And... Moses's sister says, hey, I know a lady who can nurse the child until he's grown and can take care of him. Well, guess who Moses's sister went and found to do just that? Well, it was Moses's mother. And so God had a tremendous way of taking this Hebrew boy, this child who his parents 
looked in his eyes and knew that God had a plan for him, knew that there was something special about him, and God protected him. Not only did he not lose his life, but he ended up literally living and growing up in the home of the most powerful person, uh, certainly in Egypt, let alone perhaps even in the known world at the time, in Pharaoh's home. Well, as it turned out, the Bible says back in Hebrews chapter 11, that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, verse 25, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's the amazing thing about Moses. Moses literally grew up in the house of Pharaoh, but as he grew, he decided to be a Hebrew man rather than to be the son of a Pharaoh. He did not want to be a prince, so to speak, of Egypt. He wanted to be a Hebrew slave. Why? Because the things that he could have been afforded, the things that he could have been given as a child growing up in the house of Pharaoh was amazing wealth, amazing you know, sinful privileges, amazing false religion that had lots of power among the Egyptian people. Instead, Moses said, no, I want to be a child of God. I want to be a Hebrew as I was born to be and as I want to be, and God honored him for that. So here you have the parents, and I'm speaking to you parents, the, the parents of Moses, who not only knew that there was something special about their son, but even though they didn't know that fully, they didn't have the whole plan and knowing what all God would use Moses to do, they wanted to give their son an opportunity to grow in the knowledge and in the, the wisdom and in a relationship with God. And so they did whatever it took to make sure that their son was close to God and had a relationship with him. And, and when Moses grew up, he grew up under the teaching of his, of his mother and not the teaching of a sinful Pharaoh. Parents, I want to just tell you right now, it, you might think that it is hard to be a parent and that your children are not going to get it. You may have some toddlers, you may have some middle schoolers, you may have some high schoolers or even some college-age kids, and you think, I have done everything that I can. I have brought them to church. I have taught them. We've done devotionals at home. We have, we have, you know, they know what the Bible says. They have clear expectations at home. And, you know, when you start thinking about your life as a parent, you think, you know, I've done everything that I feel like I'm responsible to do, and yet I don't know that my kids will ever really get it. I don't know that they will ever truly honor the Lord with their life. You know, it just may seem as though you think you have the one child on the planet that has the, the most stubbornest streak in their entire body and there's no other child like them. You might think that, you know, your child is going to set the pace for disobedience for all children, for all, you know, all mankind. And, you know, in all honesty, you may. You may have that child. You may be struggling with a strong-willed child. You may be struggling with finding obedience in your child uh, and, and really getting God's best out of them. But let me just tell you, the story of Moses gives us all hope because we think that our children a lot of times are going to be the product of their environment, you know, with peer pressure, or, you know, kids at school or what they're around. But what the story of Moses tells us is when God's principles are infused into the heart and life of a child, the Bible teaches us and illustrates for us that God's word does not return void, that there is going to come some kind of a fruitful outcome of the life of a child who has had God's word invested in their life. Will it be in your lifetime as a parent? Will it be when the child is 12 or when they are 82? Is there any way to know? Absolutely not. You think about Moses. Moses spent 40 years uh outside of the will of God and outside of the family of God because he killed someone and ran away. And Moses, for 40 years, 
did nothing to make any kind of a difference and an impact on God's people until God showed up in the midst of a burning bush and said, Moses, guess what? I've got a job for you. And it was very late in life that Moses finally got his act together and truly followed God. Did Moses' parents see that come to pass? Most likely not, but God did. And so as parents, you may not live to see your child fully come to realize what what the Lord has in store for them, and it may come through a lot of struggle and a lot of frustration and a lot of tears before they ever get to that point, but just trust that God is eternal. You and I are not. You and I don't see the big picture. You and I as parents don't understand everything going on in the heart and the mind of a child, let alone in the heart and the mind of God. But one thing I know and one thing I've learned as a parent is that it takes being consistent and it takes being a parent of prayer, of being dedicated to pray for our children, being dedicated to lead them in a way of godliness and righteousness, and then learning that their walk with God truly is their walk with God. They may have to make a lot of mistakes before it all comes together. They may have to experience some tremendous heartache before it all begins to click. But you know what? God is in control. And you may want control, and you may want to change your children, and you may want to keep your thumb on them for the rest of their life. But there just comes a point in time when you turn them to God and say, God, I have invested in them. I've talked with them. I have shared with them. I have prayed for them. I'm going to continue praying for them. But you just trust the Lord to make a tremendous difference and impact in their life. And that's the hope that we see in the life of Moses. And that passage goes on to talk about the tremendous impact that the life of Moses made in God's people when he finally got his act together. And so parents, don't lose heart. Don't don't get discouraged. Don't feel as though your parenting is either going to win every battle or cause all of the pain. In, in all reality, every parent on the planet could be better. None of us are perfect parents. But if you are seeking to honor the Lord in your parenting, and if you want your home to be a blessing to God and to his kingdom, then God is going to use the ups and the downs and the in-betweens to make a difference in your children. So even when you feel like a failure as a parent, God can use that. Even when you feel like you hit a home run, you were amazing, you did the right thing at the right time, God can still use all of that. And again, he is eternal, and your child's walk with him is ultimately ultimately between your child and God. And so just commit that process of the spiritual development of your child over to the Lord, no matter what stage of life they're in. You do all that you can, but you trust with all of your heart that God is going to do infinitely more than you ever could. Well, again, if you are just joining me on What's the Word, my name is Randy Johnson. I'm the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and I had the special privilege the other day to interview our family pastor, whose name is Aaron Labarge, and Aaron has been here for almost four years and has been ministering very faithfully in our church and has made tremendous impact in children's ministry, preschool ministry, and youth ministry as well, and as our family pastor, really has a big picture vision for what God wants to do in the life of of our church through those families. And I had the opportunity to interview him, and I want you to hear what that interview was all about and get some practical advice, some practical wisdom from our family pastor who it was a tremendous interview and you won't want to miss it. And so I want to share that with you right now. Well, tonight on the program, I have a special guest for us. This is Aaron LaBarge. He is the family pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, where I have the privilege of serving as a senior pastor. And Aaron and I have been working together now for a year, and I hope that we have many, many more years ahead of us. So, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me tonight on What's the Word. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Well, I I had you on the program about, oh, five months ago or so, and it was such an amazing success, I have never had you back. So I apologize about that. I think I think 
it sounds like it was not an amazing success because that's usually why you don't get invited back. Well, I counted it as an amazing success, but our schedules have not coordinated to have it again. However, uh, I will tell our listeners that you introduced to our church this past Sunday a concept that many churches have used the last several years called milestones. And milestones, in my words, and my verbiage would be saying important steps along the way in a child's development from really from the time that parents know they're expecting all the way through sending that child off either to college or into the workforce after they Mm -hmm. have uh, graduated from high school. So what I wanted to ask of you is if you could share a little bit about those milestones that we mark in a church And then also, after you do that, I'll ask you again to reflect on milestones we can have inside the family. So tell us a little bit about what milestones are in your words. Yeah, Uh, milestones, the term milestones goes back to the Romans used to use stones to mark, do like mile markers. Like we do today, we have just little markers on the road that mark each mile or whatever. The Romans started that, and they just used big round stones that they put ever so often to mark miles. And that's where we get the term milestones. Um, now, what it's what we use in a ministry for is the idea is to come along somebody and realize, uh, like come along a child and a, and a family and realize there are certain points in our lives where there's transitionings happening, and, and how do how do you embrace those transitions? A lot of churches do this do what we we refer to as silo ministry where you have your youth over here in a can and your your children over there in another canister or whatever and and they don't really flow together it's the youth do this the kids do that the adults do that there's no connection but god has made it very clear in his word time and time again that the church is is a family it's it's a it's it's a oneness you know it's a body of believers coming together and so the idea of using milestones is is to help us embrace that, embrace that we are we are doing life and doing it together. Um, in our church format, you know, I, I mark like eight different areas, and one is uh, so we start with the expecting parent, we go into baby ministry, toddler ministry, foundation ministry, which foundation is. I break it up uh, K K the second, and then three through fourth because K through second there is their they're not well-developed readers yet, so I think that needs to be something that's paid attention to. Uh, and then third and fourth, they should be developing their reading skill a bit better, so then you can start asking them to read and stuff. So I, I think that is a little thing there, even though there's two areas in one with foundation ministry. And then you have your rite of passage. Uh, that's your fifth and sixth graders, middle school ministry, seventh and, that's seventh and eighth, and your high school ministry, which is – um, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth here, and that can vary based on areas for churches. And then the last one is your your launch ministry, and that's how we that's the time we're prepping them to to leave the the family, the children and youth ministry, and and go into whatever they're about to go into, whether it's work or or college or whatever it is. And we're the whole idea of all this is to come alongside of them and prep them and prepare them. Well, the milestones inside of a church are, you know, clear spiritual markers, transitions in a child's life. But, you know, maybe some of our listeners have children at home, and they would like to have some mile markers and milestones of their own in their child's life. So what would you suggest that parents of perhaps small children or, or, you know, kids that are transitioning into middle school, high school, what are some opportunities for them to mark some some unique, specific events in the spiritual life of their kids? Well, all kids are, are going to go through certain things at different ages and stuff like that. And I think that that's the difference between a church or a school and a, and a, and a family. A family can be more intentional and pay attention to the child as they grow. Um, and in doing so, in paying attention to the child and its growth, you can start watching little things and see where they're picking up on things. Um, I, I go through a little factor of, you know, at, at, when they're babies and they're little, like birth to two, uh, they're going to, they're very much 
you got to keep everything simple for him. You know, right then you're just you're just showing God's love and 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 being there for him and, and loving them and and presenting that to him, keeping very simple concepts. You know, but there there are bigger factors and other milestones. Even though even though the growth from birth to second is so huge, you know what's happening um, and learning wise, they're learning like super super basic fundamental things like walking, talking stuff like that. So it's it's not anything. It's substantial in their lives, but not necessarily a huge thing spiritually. Um, but God's love is still something we should be presenting to them constantly. You know, and it's it's always a growing factor. You know, as they get into toddlers, you know, that's that's when you should start. You know, teaching them little prayers and stuff like that, and and embracing uh, their little the little characters they are becoming at that age. And and I have. A lot, of, a lot of this is. I think parents should lead the lead the toddlers a lot more, and and that way they can show them how to do it because they don't know how to do it. They don't understand it. So you're right. teaching them the concepts of it at that age. Um, then you have your, you know, your foundation ministry age, like I talked about before. That's your K through second, third through fourth, and both your toddler and your baby. There's really good books. Uh, BH Publishing does these really good books, um, and they are like parenting. Like they have a parenting section in the back where you can, or where there's a scriptural reference, you know, there's a tie-in, so you can teach. And I think every family needs to do some kind of family devotional period. And all the kids, I we do ours at the dinner table. That way, everybody's involved. Um, but I think everybody should be doing that. But one thing you can do for your little ones is, you know, ha- I always also think there should be some kind of separate thing for each child too. You know, I know it's hard if you have a lot of children, but you should have that that corporate stuff, and then you should have separate stuff to to basically explain to them that this corporate, the you know, our corporate family ministry, you know, our, our family ministry where we come together is important, and that's part of what God needs to be. But you still have to have your own personal relationship with God, um, and so there should be a sense of of teaching one on one and and teaching them to lead themselves slowly. And how you start that out is a lot of times it's your toddlers and your your, your one to two-year-olds, uh, three to four-year-olds. Um, you start with, like, stories, simple stories, close to bedtime or whatever is a simple way to do it. And then eventually you graduate and you, you get them, like, one year you get them a, a devotional book when they become in, come into your K through second, you get them a devotional book that's on their level. But that's a devotional book that you lead them through. You know, you're being intentional leading them through. And then by third and fourth grade, you have them read it to you while you're there. Um, K through second, I also think you need to start asking them what they want to pray about. You can still guide them through prayer, but ask them what they want uh, to pray about, you know, so you can teach them that. The, we had structure before, but that structure is just to give us a concept of prayer. But now we need to pray and be sincere with our prayer. Uh, third and fourth, I think they need to be, you need to still be there with them and you're helping them and answering hard questions. Um, but ultimately, I think they need to be the leaders in in that moment while you're actively there with them, you know, so you can help guide them a little bit and stuff like that. Because they're concrete, they're still very much concrete thinkers at this point. And, you, and a lot of our fluid ideas like unconditional love and stuff like that, are that's hard concepts for uh, even fourth graders, you know, so being intentional with that. Um, but by fifth and sixth grade, I think they should be, personally, I think kids by that time should be doing their own devotional. I do think um, you want to, you, you want to, whatever devotional book you do, you give them or you have them do or you suggest them do or if you want them to read scripture, whatever it is, I think you do need to do a check on them. You know, uh, oh, what do you think about this? You know, I I think the coolest way to do it is have a devotional book uh, for them that they do and you do. That way later on, like the next day, next morning or whatever, if you do it in the evening or if they do it in the morning, whatever it is, sometime after you ask them what they talked about, what they learned, what, what they get out of it, and, you know, have some basic conversation with them about whatever they're talking about. One thing also is as they start slowly getting older, the idea is you want to slowly – put them in charge of their spiritual journey and show them that it's easy and show them that it's possible, you know, show them that, that, that they are very much capable while still being there as their spiritual leader. You know, right. that's parents, churches are, are 
we, we have such a smallest amount of a time in a child's life when it comes to their spiritual journey. Parents need to be leading. And I know it's scary as parents, you know, I don't, but I don't know. I'm not educated in this and that. And I, I've told many of people, hey, if, it's, if whatever question they ask you is too hard for you, tell them it's hard. Tell them, tell them hey, we may have to go talk to Pastor so-and-so, you know. Uh, tell them it's hard. You know, be open, be sincere. You know, that kids are going to see through it if you're not sincere. So don't feel like you have to have all the answers because the fact that you don't have all the answers teaches your kids something. You know, it teaches right. that, that some some things are hard. You know, and that's okay. It's ho- it's okay not to know and ask questions. But by acting like you have to have all the answers, it teaches the kids that, oh, they – it sometimes it makes them feel like they're dumb. Right. You know, that they right. don't have answers. You know, oh, well, they have all the answers. I'm just supposed to have all the answers. So when they get older and they don't have the answers, they feel insecure, you know. Well, so that willing... leads me go, – go ahead. Yeah. I was just saying, just be willing to, to be vulnerable. Absolutely. And, you know, and you have mentioned many times uh, that parents, a lot of times, you know, thinking of silo ministry, a lot of times parents think that they're in a silo, that they are the only ones going through, you know, this teenager or this middle schooler or this toddler with this attitude, you know, whatever it is. But in all honesty, you know, many of us have been there. And it's just part of raising children. And your your child may face a different kind of a struggle, but yep. you're definitely not the only one who's ever walked that that path. Definitely not. So not. my my last question for you, uh, because I appreciate your time and and didn't want to take too much of it, but I wanted to ask you. Just thinking of parents out there of different backgrounds, maybe of different spiritual levels, maybe of different types of families and even some blended families out there, what advice would you give to parents that have a resistant child to anything spiritual? The child may not want to go to church. They don't want to go to vacation Bible school. They don't want to go to Sunday school. Uh, they are just not interested in doing devotionals or praying or learning how to pray. What kind of advice would you give to parents that feel like they are struggling to get their kids on board to know Christ and then to ultimately follow him? I think first and foremost, I would tell parents that you're not alone. You know, the the rebellion that you're you're hearing from your kids and feeling from your kids that is a very natural thing you know that is that is the sin nature of the world as as who we are we we naturally want to rebel against any type of leadership um you know that's that's satan rebelled against god we rebel against god you know it's it's a constant thing that is what sin is is that rebellion in us so first and foremost don't feel like you're the only one in that in that boat there's so many families out there doing the exact same thing um and secondly, on that not feeling like you're going in the boat, sometimes when you when you have a kid who's just not going to listen to you, it's not going to hear you. Sometimes you got to reach out to some, someone else, you know, and don't be afraid to do that. Um, I told my I've had plenty of people come up and uh, plenty of other ministers, and I call them in and say, "Hey, my kid's asking this question, and no matter how I say it, they're not getting it. Um, so you tell them, you know, and and of course use people that you're gonna you trust and trust what their answer is gonna be, but um, and I've done that many a time just because my kids weren't hearing me. And the person would say the exact same thing I was saying. And and it was impactful and it, it would trigger something. And so, quite often, though, parents feel like, oh, well, that means I'm not good enough. And no, it's not that you're not good enough. It's just it's just kids being kids. Um, and they're, they're going to rebel and they're going to want to go against you. And that's just a natural thing. And one thing is a lot of times kids – they rebel against parents not necessarily just because of sin, but because they're the only person in the world that they know will still love them at the end of the day. You know, the sure. whole world is putting pressure on them, and, and parents are the only ones that, that, for the most part, are going to still love those kids, even even no matter how they act. That's why a lot of kids, they'll act up around their parents and not their not everybody else, it's because mom and dad, they trust mom and dad, and no mom and dad would do anything for them. So they they push boundaries because of that. Um, and so I guess the biggest thing is to realize, I, I tell parents, realize you're not alone. And, and 
in that same sense, there are plenty of awesome resources out there. Uh, I, the, there's a, a game called the Aetherlight or Aetherlight. I, I, I don't remember pronounce it right, but it's like a role-playing game where, where it's got, um, spiritual aspects all like kind of embedded into it. So really it's made really well too, which is really cool. Um, and the thing with that is you find cool ways to present the same message. You know, make, scripture doesn't have to be boring. You know, you, you, you have a kid who's struggling to, to stay focused when you're trying to do a devotional. Who says the devotional has to be you just reading something? Right. I mean, we've done, uh, my wife has done devotionals like on Easter. She'll do um, the empty tomb thing with the, the marshmallow in a, in a, she'll wrap it in um, almost like a, a cinnamon roll or whatever. So it'll cover it and then they'll open it. It'd be empty because the marshmallow melted everywhere. You'll find interesting ways to, to excite the Bible in the kids' minds. I think it's, it's a really cool thing to do. And and when you when you can't think of anything, because now I know what parents are thinking. Oh, now he wants me to be creative. Don't be afraid to reach out and Google something. You know, hey, and read ahead. If you're doing a devotional with your kids, I think every parent should be reading ahead of your kids. So you know what they're doing. You know, you should be that intentional with your children. You know, you want your children to be successful, then you need to be intentional with their success. Right. Well, I appreciate you taking time because I know that lots of parents struggle in lots of different ways. And the church, obviously, we want to be a resource to them and we want to be a help. But they also need to know, well, what do they do, you know, whenever they just feel like their back is against the wall and maybe a pastor's not readily available or, you know, whatever the case might be. So those are all good things to try. And uh, the biggest thing, like you said earlier, is, uh, and we both, you know, reiterated it, is that these parents are not alone, that they do have hope, that they are, there are others out there going through the same thing. So I appreciate you sharing that and appreciate you encouraging our families and how you do. Thank you. Thank you for, your, yes, sir. for the time and the opportunity. Absolutely. And next time, I won't wait five months to have you on again. No, that'd be good. I'll wait like seven months probably next time. Oh, wow. That figures. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you. No problem. Well, I certainly appreciate Aaron's ministry, and I appreciate what he does for the kingdom. And Aaron is uh, is has his own podcast with another children family pastor, and they have a great time doing that. Uh, Aaron has a great ministry in our church with our children, with our students, and with our families, and I'm thankful for him. And, you know, always, we always need to look at the impact that the church should have on families and in reversing that, the impact that healthy families have on creating a healthy church. And so there's always things, you know, as families that we need to be looking out for. Always things, whether you're uh, a parent of small children or whether you're a grandparent or even a great-grandparent and you are looking at generations coming behind you, though they may be dealing with different things, you still have Grandparent, great-grandparent, aunts, uncles, you still have an amazing impact in the spiritual development and the moral development of those children that God has put into your life. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I try to keep up with, and Aaron certainly does a better job than I do uh, because he has a lot of dialogue with kids and with families on these things, are some of the dangerous games that kids play these days. And I use the word play uh, very loosely. It, it is a kind of a, a game that it's more of a challenge. And kids hear about things on the internet. They, these kind of challenges go viral. And some of these, you know, as parents, grandparents, you need to get on the internet and you need to find out about these things. You need to have some conversations uh, with your children and grandchildren about these things and ask them what they know and ask them, you know, if they heard about the dangers of these things. So certainly parents, grandparents, do your research on this. But one of them that just came out that is very creepy is called the Momo Challenge. And it's it's using a particular app on their phones, on their smartphones, 
and uh, it kind of uses the face of a Chinese statue called Momo. And Momo has like the, this creature has bulging eyes and a creepy smile, and they they are challenged to do harmful things uh, against each other, you know, to themselves. And there's been all kinds of you know these weird videos or these weird challenges of kids doing some dangerous things. There's there's something called the blue whale challenge where you have to you're assigned different tasks to do and the final challenge is to commit suicide on the internet and again it's called the blue whale challenge and and it it sort of leads up to the ultimate challenge so there's like 50 days where kids are challenged to do uh, increasingly harmful things until they get to that last challenge to do that and you know there are kids that are whether they are supervised or unsupervised with the internet and with things at home, I mean, they just do all kinds of crazy things. And they do this for acceptance. They do it for likes on a page or people that click a thumbs up on their video. And it is so ridiculous to think that kids live and literally die for that kind of attention, but they do. And Parents, grandparents, please talk to your kids about these things. Um, there's another one that's called the duct tape challenge, and it is exactly what it sounds like. You get wrapped in duct tape, either to a chair or just wrapped up in it, and you try to, to break out. And there have been lots of injuries. There's been lots of, of serious injuries, not just of, of hurting someone's self of a broken ankle or, you know, broken arm or, you know, people falling out. But, uh, there was one report of a brain aneurysm and, you know, there's just all of these very dangerous situations that kids put themselves in that in the moment they think is fun. They think it's it's amazing. They think this is going to be great. And they don't know the risk involved with going that far. Uh, there's another game called the choking game. And again, just like the duct tape thing, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a game to see if you can wake up after being choked. And, you know, they're, they're just... As parents and grandparents, sometimes I, you know, I sit back as a parent and I think, okay, why would kids do this kind of thing? But it's because they see things in movies, they see things on television, they catch stuff on the internet, other people are doing it, their friends say that they're doing it, and they feel like to, to fit in and to join in on the fun that they have to do it. Now, Back years ago, when I was a kid, you know, decades ago, when I was a kid, that you know, there were ridiculous challenges, but of course, things didn't go viral because there was no internet, and so kids are being exposed to some of these challenges much faster and much more in much in a much more dangerous fashion now, uh, because they are led to believe through social media and through video clips and things like that that this is all fun and games and it literally all it is all fun and games till somebody gets hurt as the old saying goes uh, there's things like the uh, cinnamon challenge you know of shoving uh, a whole spoonful a major spoonful of cinnamon in your mouth uh, without gagging or choking and of course there have been you know lots of of terrible instances that have happened with that there's one called uh, the knockout challenge where one kid basically inhales and exhales really quickly, and then the other one either punches them in the chest or presses against their chest until the kid blacks out. And that's, you know, kids find that fun. And again, as parents and grandparents, we have to say to our kids and to those of you that are grandparents, to your grandkids, you have to warn kids that, that doing some of these kinds of things may be three seconds of fun, maybe five seconds of fun. It may be, you know, a, 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 it may give you some kind of an emotional high to get a hundred likes on a short video that you put on a social media platform like Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever. But at the end of the day, some of these things are so dangerous. And they just have no idea what the effect might be on them. And so I just wanted to share some of those things with you.
there are many, many other challenges that are out there and uh, far too many for me to uh, to go into, but I just, I wanted you to be aware and parents and grandparents do your research on some of these games and some of these challenges, find out what they are and sit down and have honest conversations with them, not only for the physical health, but the spiritual development of your children. And so I just wanted to share some of those things uh, with you. There are, as, as I said earlier, there are all different shapes and sizes of families. There's families of one, there are families of quite a few. And of course, you see that even throughout the Bible. You see things like in the family of Abraham. Abraham and his wife did not have children uh, until they were very old and advanced in years. And God came to them and said, you're going to have a son. And of course, Abraham tried to take that responsibility on himself without the the involvement of his wife Sarah and that led to a child out of his marriage with one of his uh, servants and produced a child named Ishmael and then of course you know after God set him straight and said no you're supposed to have a child with Sarah then Sarah became pregnant and they had a child Isaac and God did an amazing thing in saying to Abraham and to Sarah that through your child I'm going to bless all nations that everybody's going to be blessed as a result of your one child. I want to say this to families because sometimes families that are small uh, feel as though they have a responsibility to have children in order to become a family. One of the things that I share with a couple whenever I do premarital counseling is I tell couples that are engaged to one another and looking forward to walking down the aisle and and being married and looking all googly-eyed at each other, I tell them in my office, you two are becoming a family. In the biblical definition of what a family is, it is a husband leaving his father and mother, clinging to his wife, and they become one. Having children does not make you a family. It just simply adds to the number of your family. And so there are a lot of families, a lot of husbands and wives that have wanted children, have tried to have children and were not able to have have any, and they feel as though they are less than a family than those moms and dads out there that have been blessed to have children, or perhaps some adoptive parents, and they feel as though, you know, they... They may not feel as though they are as special as biological parents, or I've even seen some step-parents that married a spouse after that spouse had children, and they didn't have any children together. And so that mom or that dad who is a stepmom or a stepdad may feel second-rate because they are not the biological parent of their children. And I just want to say to you, in, in all sincerity and all honesty, I know it is cliche to say that it takes a village, but one of the things that I love about being part of a church family is we all play a role in ministering to and encouraging families that are part of the church. And so whether you are a biological mom or biological dad, whether you're a stepdad, a stepmom, or an adoptive parent, or whether or not as a husband and wife, Uh, you just have not had children yet. Take Abraham and Sarah into account to where they lived an overwhelming majority of their earthly life with no children, and God still used and blessed them late in their years and provided a child for them. But you think of all of those decades that they were a husband and wife with no children, how they loved each other, how they cared for each other, how they grew old together and experienced life together. That's what makes a family. Not how many people live under the roof of your house, but the condition of your faithfulness to Christ and your faithfulness to each other. That's what makes a family special. I want you to remember that. Because as we come up on Mother's Day and as we come up on Father's Day, don't fall into the trap that your family, though it may be small, is less than a family that may be large. And you know some families do uh, have been tremendously blessed with having multiple children, and some have not had that opportunity. 
But at the same time, we all have a responsibility to love and nurture others, whether they're our children or others, as a part of the family of God. One other thing that I want to say to our folks out there as you are listening this evening on What's the Word, I want to share this encouragement with you because early on in my pastoral ministry, I've been a senior pastor now for 20 years. And early on, Mother's Day would come and Father's Day would come and we would get these gifts and give them to mothers and we'd have them stand and you know, we'd have the father stand and we would recognize you know, the oldest mother, the youngest mother, the one that had the most children. And I never really understood the impact until probably a year or two into pastoral ministry, the impact that some of that has on people in the congregation. Now, obviously, as I just mentioned a moment ago, there are people that have not had children, and obviously they feel a sense of less than. uh, It's kind of a less than mentality, but that is absolutely not true. Uh, It's just that you haven't had the opportunity or uh, perhaps, you know, been able to have children for whatever reason. But the other side of that is what about those families in our church? What about those church members who are sitting there on Mother's Day and perhaps it is the first Mother's Day without their mother? What if it is their first Mother's Day without their grandmother? I learned early on that Mother's Day and Father's Day can be two of the most difficult days for a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons. One, as I just mentioned, the first one without your mother. And honestly, I know families that struggle with Mother's Day many, many years after their mother or grandmother is gone. It's still a struggle because it is a reminder of a day that you set aside to honor these special ladies in your life, and now you don't have the opportunity to do that. And I want to encourage all of you as you go to church this Sunday, and I pray if you need a church home and are looking for a place to worship, come to Columbia Baptist Church this Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. We're located at 201 Greensburg Street. But I want to encourage all of you to be sensitive on Mother's Day, not only to honor the special ladies in your life, but to pray for and encourage those in your church family that have most recently lost that mom or that grandmother in their family. And make sure that you're praying for and encouraging those in your church body and let them know that you love them. Let them know that you are praying for them. Let them know how thankful that you are that they have a mother or a grandmother that they miss that much because of that special relationship because not everybody has that. Which brings me to another reason why Mother's Day and Father's Day can be so difficult. You know, you see this gushing of emotion a lot of times of some people over the moms and the grandmothers in their life. And there are a lot of broken families out there. And when someone thinks of celebrating Mother's Day, they might think the last thing in the world I want to do is honor somebody who was not a good parent to me. And the idea of Mother's Day, of honoring their mom, is very difficult and honoring their father, who perhaps was not the ideal role model for them, or honoring their mother, who was not faithful to nurture spiritual health in the home, or you know, for whatever reason, to just really struggle with honoring their parents. But I want to bring you back, if that's you, I want to bring you back to the Bible, because the Bible teaches us to honor our father and mother so that our days are long on this earth. And in a lot of ways, I would say that with most things in life that don't go perfectly, if your family was a struggle and you had difficulty really having that close-knit relationship with your mom and dad, you can still honor them by thanking God that they gave life to you, that God used them to bring you into the world, and that your life and those that you have impacted would never have existed had it not been for your biological parents that allowed you to have life. At least we can thank the Lord for that. But I also just want to encourage you 
to be thankful for the life that you have. You know, we all have a mom. We all have a dad. We may not have the greatest relationships with them, but thanks be to God that we have life in this er on this earth. And I'm thankful at the end of the day that the life I have on this earth gave me the opportunity to have eternal life in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's how I want to end the show. I just want to praise the Lord for my mom and dad who gave life to me and thankfully have been wonderful Christian examples. But I'm also thankful that the earthly life I have gave me the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord so that I might have eternal life. And I hope and pray that as you go to church this week and as you are honoring your parents and specifically honoring your mom, that you just thank the Lord for the life that you have and the eternal life that you have in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.